My name is Dave Field. My wife, Kim, is here with me this morning. Really pleased to be here with you as a church. I uh, want to say right up at the front, thank you for your support. You guys have been uh, backing us now for a number of years in our ministry over there in Waukesha, and it's a, it's a blessing and a privilege to be doing ministry with you. That's really the way we look at it. Uh, we're not doing ministry on our own, supported by people. We're doing ministry together with people. And I, I really uh, like the opportunity that you have taken as a church to welcome our students in. Uh, like you're doing. I'm praying that that will increase and that uh, you will be encouraged by uh, them and the things they're learning and the energy that they bring and that they will be encouraged by you and the energy that you bring and the, uh, the time you want to spend with them. Uh, one thing we're noticing about uh, this generation of young people is they are very relational. Uh, and so if you want to spend time with them and listen to them and talk to them, you're going you're gonna to have a good time and, and uh, you'll win a heart there and uh, win interest as well. So uh, may the Lord prosper that. Um, kind of a little update maybe on uh, how things are going Bible school. Um, through the spring here, the restrictions, of course, with the masks and so on have been generally uh, lessening. And, of course, with the mandate being lifted, uh, I was able to see my students' faces for the first time in a long time. Uh, I, I think I, last time I preached here, I talked about just seeing the eyes, you know, and how that's kind of discouraging for a guy like me because I want to see the, the reactions on the faces and so on. So uh, classrooms are, are more or less unmasked right now, uh, and we're starting to uh, do away with some of the spacing and some of that. Uh, looking forward to having full capacity uh, back up by the fall, so school as normal. Lord willing, you know, we pray that uh, nothing else happens there that would be detrimental to that. Um, we're also being able to have uh, more students in our home uh, this next week, we're having a student, uh, kind of a dorm event, so having a bunch of students down to the place to play games and maybe have a, a little bonfire on our yard or whatever. I know they're looking forward to that. We are, too. We're really um, excited to be able to engage in some of those things that we like to do. So you can pray with us, pray for us as we, as we uh, finish up our year. Uh, graduation will be around uh, May 13th, I believe it is, and uh, then we'll, we'll be calling it a wrap for another year. So um, anyway, that's a little bit of an update. Um, this morning, what I'd like to do uh, in terms of looking at God's Word is turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, I noticed on the website that Jeremy preached on the resurrection of Jesus from John chapter 20 last week, and so I'd like to do something that, that takes off of the resurrection of Christ and talks about the resurrection of the believer. So we'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to pray for us as we get started. Father in heaven, we love you. We come to you as your people, thankful for grace, thankful for kindness, thankful for the cross, and thankful for your Son. And Lord, as we look at uh, the resurrection of Jesus this morning and what it means for us as believers, I pray you teach our hearts. I pray you would uh, use your word to bring us into conformity with the image of your Son. And I ask that you would help us to understand uh, what is so important. Give me wisdom as I speak today. I pray it would make sense and honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now Jeremy said there'd be a thing of water down here, so I'm going to find that real quick. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is called the resurrection chapter, and what I want to do just in a few minutes here this morning is introduce you to some of the things that are in the chapter. It's a longer chapter, it's you know 58 verses or something like that, so don't fear, I'm not going to do every verse. But we're going to look into the chapter and see there's several points that I want to pull from it, and hopefully what we do this morning... Uh, will be an encouragement for you over the week to look deeper into the chapter, to read it through, and to see some of the themes and things that are going on there uh, relating to resurrection. Now, what I want to do first is ask a question. 
Uh, we have, we've talked about the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Easter uh, is the time we think about that primarily, right? Um, do we have instances of resurrection other places in Scripture other than the resurrection of Jesus? Yes, we do, right? We actually have some right in the Gospels there. We have Jesus raising people to life. Uh, we have the, the, the woman bringing her son out to, to bury there, and Jesus goes and touches the coffin, and the boy sits up, remember, and he gives, her back, gives him back to his mother. And We have Lazarus, of course, which is kind of the pinnacle of the story of Jesus and John. Jesus raises a dead man. And we've got some instances in the Old Testament as well. Elijah and Elisha both raised people from the dead uh, and, and, and so on. So we have the concept of resurrection in the Bible um, I want to put to you this morning, though, that there is a difference between the resurrection of Jesus and every other resurrection in Scripture. Okay, there's, a, there's a difference. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus raised from the dead in a body, but Jesus raised from the dead in a different kind of body. Jesus raised from the dead in an immortal body. Jesus ascended bodily into heaven. Jesus will come back from heaven bodily, and it's the same body and, you know, 2,000 years ago, right? So Jesus' resurrection is a little different. Now, if you think about the people that were raised by Jesus and raised by prophets and so on in the Old Testament, uh, we have to admit that those people died again at some point, right? Kind of a sad thing, actually. You know, think of Lazarus, right? The man dies, he's buried, he put, he's put in the tomb. Four days later, Jesus comes and raises him again uh, to life. But then eventually... We're not told in Scripture, but we know it's true, right? Eventually, Lazarus had to do it a second time. So Lazarus is the man who died twice. Kind of sucks, maybe, right? Uh, poor Lazarus, you know. Um, otherwise, I mean, if, if Lazarus didn't die again, then Lazarus is still walking around somewhere, and we know that's not true, right? That would be kind of scary. So, so there's, there's what we would call resurrection. The word resurrection applies primarily to Jesus, because Jesus came back in a glorified immortal body, never to die again, and there's only one that's ever and then we have the reanimation, I would say, of some other people. That's what I call it, reanimation. You know, they stood up for a while, breathed a few more breaths, ate a few more meals, and then had to do it all over again, Lazarus and so on. So we have Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is different. Now, uh, Paul writes his book of uh, uh, First Corinthian letter uh, to a church in ancient Greece. Uh, Corinth is in, is in Greece. And Greek language and Greek culture at the time when Paul was writing had, had taken the entire world at the time by storm. People were into that culture, into that language, in that way of thinking. It's called Hellenization. And one of the things that the Greek world had kind of in common was certain beliefs about the afterlife. Okay? These ancient pagan peoples believed in an afterlife. They believed when a person dies, their spirit would separate, and the, and the body would go in the ground, and the spirit would go off to wherever the dead spirits go. And they have all kinds of myths about that. The Greek world, the, the spirit crosses the river Styx or whatever and goes to live with the departed spirits, and, and, and that's kind of, there, there's a lot of mythology about that. Okay? One thing the Greek people did not believe in, though, was coming back in a body. You don't do that. You live later on in a spiritual form somewhere, wherever the dead spirits go, but you don't come back. There's an instance in, uh, in Acts chapter, I forget, is it, it's in the teens anyway. Paul goes to uh, uh, this one city, and he's talking with the philosophers in the town, and they say, oh, you're, you have some strange ideas. Come and talk to us further. So they bring him to their great uh, convocation, their big meeting where all the philosophers are talking there, and Paul is preaching about Jesus raising from the dead. That's the end of his little message anyway. He tells the story of Scripture, ends with the resurrection from the dead, and then people start to scoff at him, and they say, well, we'll maybe talk to you about it later kind of thing. Why were they scoffing? 
Those people don't rise from the dead. We all know that when someone dies, the body goes in the ground, the spirit goes off to the spirit world and lives there, and that's all we got. Right? So resurrection coming back in a body to live again, to live eternally in a physical body of some kind, that's not, a, that's not an acceptable idea, not a Greek idea. So what's happening in, in Corinthians is something like this. These people that Paul is writing to are believers. They're Christians. Part of their belief as Christians is that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus came back from the grave in a body. They believe that. That's, that's part of their salvation uh, understanding. right? Jesus died. Jesus rose. It's central to Christian belief. But one of the things that they are struggling with, some of them are struggling with, is the idea that that means Christians will rise from the dead. Christians will come back. There seems to be in chapter 15 an idea that says something like this. Jesus rose from the dead, but he can do that because he's Jesus. We're not going to rise from the dead. We're not coming back. We're going to do what we've always been told. We will die, go on the ground, and go off to the place where the ancestors go. And maybe there's a Christian variety of that, go to heaven or something like that. But coming back in a body, that's not happening. That's what some of these people are thinking. Um, and it's interesting. You, you look from not only the Greek culture, but you look at our culture in the Western world, very often there's sort of a denial or a dismissal or maybe a misunderstanding of that for us. You look at the Old Testament scriptures, the idea that at the end of time, the righteous will rise again in bodies to live forever with God. That's an idea that's there. Uh, Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the end of time, through, a, through real eyes in a real body, I will see God. You know? And in the end of Daniel there, it says that the, those who sleep in the dust of the earth will rise, some of them to everlasting life and some of them to everlasting shame. talks about that. As a resurrection, there's a coming back to, to inherit what God has for us eternally, one side or the other. Uh, so that's an idea that's in the scripture, but the Greek people, they didn't, they didn't like that. They didn't think that was very cool. So what, what's happening in, in 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul is, is, is saying, listen, if Jesus rose from the dead, you're going to rise from the dead too. And Paul gives some description to that in one of the chapters of the Bible that's, that's got the most detail on it. So we want to look at that. Uh, let's start now by looking at verse 12. I'm going to kind of follow Paul's argumentation here. Paul says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Okay, so he's going he's gonna to kind of logic with them a little bit. If we say Jesus rose from the dead, how can, you, how can some of you say that doesn't happen? Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Okay, see, so he kind of goes with their argument a little bit. He says, okay, so if, if there is no such thing as resurrection, if that just doesn't happen, if people don't come back in a body, then we have to admit that Jesus didn't come back. Now, what Paul is going to do in the next few verses is he's going to say, okay, listen, if Jesus didn't come back from the grave, then everything about Christian faith unravels. The resurrection of Jesus is actually the center of the Christian faith. Follow with me. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. What does he mean our preaching is in vain? Apostolic preaching in the first century centered around the resurrection of Jesus. That was the message they were proclaiming. Jesus came as God's anointed Savior. Jesus was killed on a cross. Jesus raised from the dead. And that raising him from the dead underlined him as God's man. God's man for all the people right? To bring salvation, you know. So our preaching is nothing if Jesus didn't come back. He says, and your faith is vain. In other words, you've believed in something that isn't true, right? If, we don't, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then all of us have believed a, a lie, I guess. 
our preaching is vain, your faith is vain, empty. Verse 15, we, and the we there is is, uh, apostles, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. So Paul says, hey, listen, if Jesus didn't come back from the grave in a, in a body, then I guess we have been lying in the name of God. You know, we apostles have been telling a big lie for so many years. Look at verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Okay, so he said that. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. What does it mean you're still in our sins if Christ hasn't been raised? Here's the general idea. Jesus died on a cross to pay for our sins. We know from the scripture that a person who, who, the, the sacrifice that is going to die to pay for the sins of the world needs to be what kind of sacrifice? Needs to be spotless, right? Needs to be sinless. So think about it with me for a minute. What happens to people who have sin on them? What is the consequence for sin. From the book of Genesis, the consequence of sin is death, right? That's why we die. That's why death gets to have us is because we're sinful human beings. If Jesus goes up on the cross and dies for the sins of the world to pay for all the sin, and then death keeps Jesus, what does it say about Jesus? If death keeps Jesus, then Jesus was a sinful human after all. What is being underlined by the resurrection of Jesus where death couldn't hang on to Jesus? Jesus comes up out of the ground three days later. What is being underlined there is that Jesus is sinless. Death can't hold him. And if Jesus is sinless, then the cross worked. Right? Because it was a sinless sacrifice after all that paid for all of us. Our faith is not in vain. We are not still in our sins. Jesus' resurrection proves the cross was a valid event. So you can see how the the resurrection is kind of a big deal. It's kind of central, right? Look at verse uh, 18. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That's interesting. Uh, Paul says, listen, if, uh, if Christ did not rise, then there's no resurrection for anybody else. You know, your, your, your dead relatives, your friends in Christ who have passed away, you'll never see them again. You know, they'll just they'll, they'll go away and you'll never see them come back again. In the first century, people are waiting for the return of Jesus. Christians are waiting for Jesus to come back. But in the meantime, the the quick return that they expected hasn't happened. And some of them are starting to get old and and sick and die. And they're wondering, will I see them again? Right? Paul says, okay, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you will never see them again. They passed into the great beyond, never to be seen again. Uh, So that's verse 18. And then he says in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Okay, uh, We as Christians are the people who go against society in some ways. right? The world is having its party right now. The world is living for lust and pleasure and wealth and power. The world is stacking up treasures right now, having a good time now. It's like the worldly phrase, you know, uh, get all you can, uh, you only live once, you know, only one time around, so do, have your fun now kind of thing, because then we die, and then it's all, all done. That's the way the world looks at it. Christians are the people who are saying no to the pleasures of the world, no to sinful uh, uh, pleasure and so on, and stacking up the wealth for now, because we know what? We know we have something coming. Paul says if, if Jesus didn't raise, then we have hope only in this life. And our hope then gets dashed when we die because there's nothing coming. 
If in Christ we have hope only in this life, then we're miserable people, right? Because we're giving up on the party and we're giving, giving up on the things we could have with the world right now, only to have nothing to come in the future. Kind of miserable, Paul says. So there's a number of things that kind of come undone here if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. He says, we are people to be pitied. Look at verse 20. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead. Hey, let's read these statements backwards now. If Jesus did come back from the dead, then all of the things that Paul has just said are no longer true. If if Jesus did rise from the dead, we are people not to be pitied. Actually, we are people to be envied. Right? Because we have a future with Jesus in resurrected bodies. That's something the world can't imagine in their greatest dreams. Immortality. Imperfection. Right? We're not to be pitied. We're to be envied. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only. Hey, if Jesus came back in a body, we don't have hope just in this life. We have hope in the next life too. If Jesus came back in a body, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have not perished. We will see them again. There's a future with them. Uh, Going back to verse 16 and verse 17, if Christ came back from the dead, then our faith is not futile. Then we are not still on our sins. Then the cross did work. Jesus was a righteous Savior. Uh, Go back to verse 15. If Jesus did raise from the dead, the apostles didn't lie. They didn't misrepresent God. They told the truth, right? Um, So we go go back through the things. All of this comes undone, and you realize that with Jesus' resurrection, actually the linchpin, the cornerstone, the foundation of our faith is intact. It's secure. Jesus came back from the dead, and that's huge for us as Christians. Jesus' resurrection is the center of our faith. Now, Paul goes on from here to develop another idea. What he's going to say next is, Jesus' resurrection is the center of our faith, but Jesus' resurrection now means that we will rise too. And he's going to talk about that. So look at verse 20b, second half of verse 20. He says, uh, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. That word firstfruits is an important word. Firstfruits is an Old Testament word. It's a, it's a temple word. It's an idea that when the farmers in the Old Testament, their Jewish farmers would, would go and take their, their, their sickle and go and harvest some of the crop, in harvest time they would bring the very first little bit of the crop and they would bring it as a special offering to the Lord. The idea is sort of a thank you to God for his goodness and an indication that there's more coming, right? There's the first fruits, and the word first indicates that there's second and more to come, right? We give the first and the best to God, and we've got more that's on its way. Jesus, it says, is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is the first human to come back out of the grave in an immortal body that's ever happened, never to die again. Jesus is the first one. What does that mean? It means that there's a second and a third and a more coming, right? Jesus is the first fruits of a great harvest of immortal humans who will be God's people on the new earth at the end of the story. Jesus is just the beginning. There's there's a resurrection for us as well. Look at verse uh, uh, 21. For as by a man came death. Okay, who's the man there? Adam, right? Adam brought in death. Adam sinned at the tree and we all died. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Who's the second man? Jesus. Jesus is the new Adam. Jesus is the restart to God's creation. One man broke it, and so in God's economy, another man has to come and fix it. Jesus comes and brings resurrection from the dead for all of the people. Verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
Then he says, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, there it is. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Hey, verse 23 is the one we have up on our slide today. Uh, 23 and 24 there. 23 tells us something about the timing of the resurrection for the Christian. What does it say about timing? Jesus is the first one to rise from the dead, and then after at his coming, what does it say? Those who belong to Christ. Who are the people who belong to Christ? It's the Christians. When Jesus comes back, there is going to be a a general resurrection of those people. Not just a reanimation to die again, but a coming back in in a resurrection body like Jesus. Look at the next verse. He says, then comes the end when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Uh, For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Verse 26 is something to underline, I think. He says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. We live in a world that is full of death. We live in a world that's so full of death we don't realize what it's like to have a world with no death in it. When Adam and Eve sinned at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, death came in. Death to the people. Death is not just the the end result of a life. There's sickness, which is a kind of death, the body beginning to to, to decay and shut down. There's death in creation. There's death in the animals and the trees and the plants. The the planet is dying. The planet has death in it, right? And not just the people. it's, It's all around us. Jesus, at the end of the story, has... Having destroyed all the other enemies, Satan and sin and those other things, the last enemy that's going to go down is this death thing. And we don't have a concept in our little finite minds of what the world is going to be like when the death is removed. But what we're talking about is a completely new creation. Going back to God's original plan with Adam and Eve in the garden, realizing the original world, there was no death. Nothing died. You know, that gets complicated in our brains. We can't figure out how it all works. But God is bringing us back to that, and he starts with a man. Jesus comes out of the grave. That's big for not only humans, that's big for the entire creation. The world is going back to uh, an immortal, non-death-like existence. Okay, so we've talked about two things. Jesus' resurrection is the center of our faith. Jesus' resurrection means there is a resurrection coming for us too. Now, uh, at this point, the, the people in Corinth have a question for Paul. Look over at verse uh, 35. He says, but someone will ask, how were the dead raised? What kind of body do they, in, with what kind of body do they come? Now, the question here that somebody poses to Paul, Paul is writing down a question that's fairly typical, I guess, of people. Uh, the question sounds like an innocent question. Paul, what kind of body do the dead people come with? It seems innocent, but I want you to look at how Paul answers. Look at verse 36. He says, you foolish person. Paul comes back kind of harsh. You're like, Paul, like that was a little edgy. You know, why did you hit him with that? Call him a fool. Here's the deal. The question that these people ask is not an innocent question. What they're saying between the lines, I think, is something like this. Paul, you're saying we're going to rise, but I've never seen a resurrection body. So that means there isn't one. What kind of body could they possibly come back in? Paul, I've never seen a resurrection body before. That's, that's not normal. You know, where's the proof, Paul? Show me a resurrection body. So what Paul does is he goes to nature to show that God can make different kinds of bodies. Follow with me here. This is actually kind of fun. I'm having fun. (laughs) You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. 
Okay, so the idea is that, that when you put a little seed in the ground, hey, we're, we're entering up on garden season here real, real soon, right? In a month or so, we're going to be putting some seeds in the ground. Everybody knows when you put a seed in the ground, what happens to that seed? It dies, right? It comes apart. And then out of the death of the little seed comes something that's related, but it's not exactly the same, right? We put a, a potato in the ground, and the potato rots and gets all mushy and stuff, and then you have this plant that produces more potatoes. It's related, but it's better and it's more. Same with everything else, right? Flowers and all that. So what you sow, is, uh, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Verse 37, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. In other words, when I want to plant an oak tree, I don't take an oak tree and stick it in the ground. I take an acorn and put it in the ground, but then what comes out is not another acorn. It's an oak tree, right? It's related, but it's, it's more, it's bigger, it's better. You get the point. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. So God has given all the seeds some kind of a body when they grow up. So we have tree bodies and animal bodies and all that. Uh, to each kind of seed, its own body. Verse 39, for not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. Okay, so Paul is saying, hey, listen, the, don't, don't get lost in the details here. Paul is basically saying, look, you're saying where's the evidence for, an, for a new uh, immortal body? Think about it. He says God has made all kinds of bodies. God who has made all the different kinds of bodies for plants and for animals and for people can surely make something we've never seen before. I think that's the idea here. And then he goes from uh, bodies that we have on earth, he goes up into the heavens. Look at verse 40. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one kind, the glory of the earthly is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. Stars differ from stars in glory. So Paul says, look, there's all kinds of stuff God's made up in the, up in the heavens that we don't even understand. Heavenly bodies, right? Stars and planets and stuff. In other words, God is so big, God is so creative, that for God to come up with a body you haven't thought of or seen before is, is not impossible. Just because you haven't seen it before doesn't mean it can't be, right? God can do this. God can make a creation, new creation body. So let's look at verse 42. Paul starts to apply it. He says, so it is with the resurrection from the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Someday, this thing here is going to breathe its last, and they're going to put it in a box and put it somewhere in the ground. Maybe somewhere in Wisconsin. You know, there'll be a, a little piece of hallowed ground. This is where Dave Field now rests, whatever. Uh, don't be fooled by that. I'm coming back. And that's not scary like in the scary movies, you know. Uh, that's kind of our culture has this thing about bodies coming out of the ground and they're all gross and scary and wh whatever. Paul says here, uh, what is sown is perishable, diable, mortable, mortal, uh, mortal, but it is raised as imperishable. What is going to come out of the ground on the day when Jesus resurrects is something that will never die again. Look at the next verse. It is sown in dishonor. Hey, there's a kind of a dishonor in death, right? It's It's... It's not an honorable, glorious thing. Death is kind of gross and kind of sad and empty. He says it's sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. Hey, death is the ultimate form of weakness, right? We breathe out our last. It's, it's, the body gets weaker and weaker and weaker, and then it dies. Paul says it's sown in weakness. It is raised in what? Power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And he says, if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Hey, listen, this goes completely against the Greek idea. The Greek idea was we put the bodies in the ground and the spirit goes off to the afterlife wherever it goes. 
Paul says, no, according to God's word, what happens is the body goes in the ground, get this, like a little seed, and it's going to grow into something else. It's going to come back as something bigger, better, more powerful, more glorious than ever before. And he says, it's called a body. What went into the ground was a natural body. This thing, what is going to come out of the ground is going to be a spiritual body. Don't insert the word ghost or spirit in here when you read spiritual. Paul says it is a spiritual body. Think about Jesus when he came back from the dead. Jesus had to prove several times to the disciples that he was not a what? A ghost, right? Jesus actually sits down with the guys and says, do you have any food here? Remember that one? And he's falling through them on the floor like in the, movie, like in the movies, you know? Jesus eats the food and, 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 and like it's something that a physical person does and he actually says, Thomas, come here, like touch me, like see my hands, my feet, my side. Like Jesus came back as a physical human being but with differences, right? You can go through doors and all that stuff. Jesus came back as a spiritual body. Physicality in some way. Verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. So there's kind of an order. We start with natural, then we go to spiritual. Uh, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. That's Adam. The second, is, the second man is from heaven. That's Jesus. Look at this. This is my favorite. Verse 48. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. Okay, so there was a man made from dust, and we are all like him. Adam. That's where we are right now. That's our time. Look at the next part. Uh, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are from heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall, underline the shell, also bear the image of the man of heaven. Okay? Jesus came to restart the creation to bring us back to God's original idea of immortal humans living with God. As we have borne, as we currently bear the image of Adam, we will in the future bear the image of Jesus, the man from heaven. We'll come back. So we've got Jesus' resurrection as the center of our faith. Jesus' resurrection mean, means we too will rise. And then we talked about what resurrection bodies are like. If you want a, a picture of what a resurrection body is like, look at the stories of Jesus when he rose from the dead. That's the, the prototype. Last point here is this. Resurrection is necessary for the Christian. It is necessary for the Christian. Look at verse 50. Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Flesh and blood do not inherit the kingdom of God. We live in flesh and blood bodies right now. What would it be like if God took us in our flesh and blood bodies and put us into his eternal kingdom, new world that he is going to make? Let me tell you briefly what would happen. Our bodies couldn't handle it. New world that is coming is made for people who are immortal, who have bodies that can match with that world, fit with that world, live in that world. We couldn't take it. The glory of the new world would be so much it would kill us. Paul says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the coming thing, the coming new world. So resurrection is a necessary thing. It's going to have to happen to all of us for us to enter into what God is going to bring. Verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. And there's more description there in the next few verses which we won't read, okay? Last thing before the new world is brought in, 
is God is going to raise his people from the dead in, in resurrection, immortal life like the Son of God. Great harvest of people like Jesus who will inherit the new world. When we get to the new world, there's only going to be resurrection people there. Do you realize that? There's only going to be immortal people there in immortal bodies like the Son of God. That's the new world. That's the new thing. That's the new start. And we're part of that, which is highly encouraging to me. You think about that, right? Uh, I remember hearing a song a few years ago, a sort of a pop song or whatever, and they were saying uh, something about, you know, we, we, we're immortal or we can be immortal, you know, sort of reaching out for immortality. And I'm listening to the words of the song, and I'm thinking like, okay, like do we really, in, in a secular sense, do we really understand what we're talking about? We could be immortal, you know? And I think in our, in our, in our secular world, the concept of immortality maybe is something like the superheroes, like the Marvel you know, uh, Superman or something like that, sort of stronger and better than ever before. Uh, but when you think about what we as Christians have in Christ, we actually have the real immortality that we're headed toward. We have something the world, again, can only dream about in its wildest dreams. That's actually ours in Christ. A couple of points of application. There's two verses I want us to look at to apply. Uh, this is how Paul applies it. Look at verse 34. Actually, let's do verse 33. It goes with it. He says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor. Do what is right, or as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. In Paul's mind, our coming resurrection points us toward living a responsible, God-honoring life in the present. Right? The world is having its party right now. It's the you, on, you only live once mentality. Get all you can. You only get one go around. If, if Christians join them and say, yeah, get all you can. It's just party time right now. If we do that, that says that what we believe about the future life coming is a lie. Right? There's no resurrection for anybody, so just live it up now, I guess. Paul says, but if we are coming back, we should be living righteous lives right now as an example to the world. He says, some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. In other words, church in Corinth is living it up. Some of them are living it up like the world. Paul says, people around you don't know Jesus. They don't have knowledge of God, and you're living it up with them. You're not even telling them the gospel. You know? So there's one application. Living the gospel, preaching the gospel, living righteous lives. Then verse 58 is the second application. Uh, Paul says, therefore, and of course, whenever he says, therefore, he's pointing back to what he's talked about. This is the wrap-up of the chapter. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Hey, does it feel like our labor in the Lord is in vain sometimes? You know, it doesn't turn out, it's useless, it's hard, it's worthless to keep pushing forward and going against the culture. I mean, it gets wearing after a while, it gets tiring, right? I'm a person who likes to get along with people. I like people liking me, and as long as people like me, then everything's happy and hunky-dory. And, but it, it's hard to say no to the culture and go against the culture. You're swimming against the stream all the time. It gets tiring, right? It wears us out. Paul encourages us here with our future by saying, keep going, it's worth it. Like the little song says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. So run the race bravely, you know, because we'll see him face to face at the end. So let me encourage you with that. We have, we have something the world does not have, something the world can only dream of, uh, and that should change the way we live in the present, and that should change the hope that we have as we act out as God's gospel people in this world. We have hope. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, again, 
we come to you with such thankfulness in our hearts for the gospel. Uh, we thank you, Father, that the gospel does not only fix our sin problem between us and a holy God, the gospel fixes our death problem as well. The gospel promises life beyond the grave, Father, for us. Life, abundant life beyond the grave. Life in a new world, a new body where no sin or corruption exists. Life in a place that we can truly call home. And Father, we take comfort in that and we live with expectation uh, lives that honor you. Thank you again, Father, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.